Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Can I begin by thanking you for taking the time to listen? I'm going to start a little differently than I normally would this week, because you all know how much I love the podcast, how much I love the Camino, how much I love the interaction with pilgrims from around the world, and how much I love a quote. Well, this week, the quote is me. I love what I do, and I love the people I meet, the stories they tell, their transformation. So here's my quote. Pilgrims' lives are so often lyrics of a song. They're writing their own choruses. I'm just adding a little harmony. Let's keep writing songs together. We're at almost 150 interviews as part of my Camino the podcast, and it's incredible when you think about it. Allow me to tell you a story. I work in radio, as many of you know, and the chief executive of my media company left suddenly, and I'd always had a great relationship with him. I thought it was a real shame he'd been made to walk the plank. A few months later, he contacted me and asked if I had any ideas, being a radio producer, for podcasts. I threw a few ideas up in the air, but then I said, what about a Camino podcast? And he said, what's a Camino? (laughs) And to cut a long story short, we're at almost 150 episodes, so almost 300,000 downloads from all five continents, more than 90 countries around the world. Not a day goes by when I don't get a message from someone thanking me for the podcast or asking for a transcript or asking for the name of an albergue. Someone somewhere right now, I'm sure, is listening to our stories, our journeys. We have changed lives. If we've made people smile, cry, inspired people, we've changed lives. I know what you're thinking. He's about to say the podcast is finished. But no. It's not that. It's an invitation for me to come to you. I'm really lucky to have been invited to the American Pilgrims on the Camino Conference at Lake Tahoe in Nevada in March 2020. It's March 12 to 15 at Zephyr Lodge, Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Sounds fantastic, the Zephyr Lodge. Can you imagine a boy from Toowoomba on the Darling Downs going to Lake Tahoe in Nevada? It's unbelievable. Well, here's the reason for my supplementary podcast this week. I thought I'd prevail upon all the Camino groups in the US and around the world to make a tour of it. The team at the American Friends on the Camino, and they were very polite and lovely, said, Dan, we can't really let you reach out to pilgrims via our associations. I had sent an introductory email to some of the groups, but they're not allowed to advertise a commercial enterprise, and fair enough too. And I love the work they do. I was sorry I had put them in a difficult situation. Reason being, I'm thinking I'd have to charge like $10 a head at each show to cover my costs. Australia is a long, long way away. So here's the message. If you think you could host a small gig or a large gig, it could be in your back garden, an old theatre in town or your local pub or cafe, email me. I'll do a two-hour show, I'll tell stories, sing songs, and bring a taste of the sharing and caring of the Camino to your hometown. I played a set at the Australian Friends of the Camino Conference in Adelaide last Saturday night. The Pilgrim Guidebook author John Brearley was there, and I asked him for a quote. He said, Dan Mullins lit up the evening with his inspired playing to a packed Pilgrim audience. So let's talk. I can partner with venues, I can use ticketing apps, I can work with whatever works to make life easiest for you. The bottom line is, no one will be collecting cash. There are apps for that these days. We agree on a day and time, a fee, and if I want to, if I can, I can keep it at $10 a head. Well, let's 
let the business take care of itself and simply enjoy one another's company. And most importantly, a percentage of ticket sales will go to your local group so it can host similar events into the future. North America, Canada, Europe, the UK, Africa, Asia, wherever you want. I play more than 80 shows a year in Sydney's premier venues. I have played in Spain, the US, Ireland and the UK. My album Duende, released early this year, reached number two on the Australian Aria charts. I can play in your barn, your school hall, the convent courtyard. I'm taking my Camino, the podcast, on the road. So if you'd like me to call in on you, just email me, danmullinsmusic at gmail.com. That's danmullinsmusic at gmail.com. Oh, and by the way, I may have to camp on your lounge room floor. Just saying. You all know me. I'm not someone who sings his own praises, so I won't. I'll simply say this. I can help you pause. I'll be your guide. I'll sing for you to take you for a moment away from your troubles, perhaps even your pain. Or we could celebrate or even commiserate. Maybe we just get together to sing our hearts out, like pilgrims, our lives together while we sing. Our Camino in your town. Don't stress about the tickets and all that. There are apps these days and it takes care of itself. When you say, I'll host the gig, I'll say I'm going to be in town that day and via social media, you and I advertise. The person who thinks they'd like to go along buys a ticket on the website. You as host get an app and swipe their mobile phones as they enter. It's all good. No one is standing around collecting money. It's organic, as it should be. So if you'd like me to come to your town, your house, your kitchen in 2020, let me know. I'd sure love to come to see you, to sing for you, to share my story with you, and to hear your stories. DanMullinsMusic at gmail.com. Let's make it happen. I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast, a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago, an ancient pilgrimage from France across Spain. Well, that's not entirely accurate. As we heard last week, there are 80,000 kilometres of Camino pathways spreading across Europe. I wanted to thank you for your comments and acknowledge the feedback in the wake of last week's podcast. It was a snapshot of the inaugural Australian Friends of the Camino Conference in Adelaide. I think my friend Lindsay summed it up best when he posted on Facebook this week. I'm wondering if post-Camino blues is just an extended version of post-Camino conference blues. So happy to have spent time with you all. Amazing people. I didn't want it to end. We all agree, Lindsay. The Camino is famous for providing pilgrims with space and time. Time to sift through the cloud and dust of the mind. Space to let our hearts and souls roam free. If you're thinking of walking a Camino do it. If you're just back and you're thinking of going again, just do it. If you're thinking of joining your local Camino gathering group, just do it. Share and care. It's the pilgrim way. Queen Noor of Jordan is a philanthropist and author and widow of King Hussein. She said, if we are to prosper together in our increasingly small world, we must listen to and learn from each other's stories. Pilgrims are notoriously good listeners and good readers. They're constantly on the lookout for new media, Camino media, to absorb. I received a message this week from the Australian pilgrim Dean Preston. He's created a movie of his Camino, and it's well worth checking out. He's on the line. Dean, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. You say the film is about your journey of self-discovery and wonder. 
as the road to enlightenment and adventure unfolds before you. Let's go back a little bit. Do you remember where you first heard about the Camino? Uh, I do, actually. I was having a conversation with uh, a a friend of mine, and she mentioned that her father was walking across America. And I found that quite incredible um, that he was doing that. And then she said, but the next thing he's going to do is the Camino in Spain. And I said, oh, what's that? And she said, oh, this this walk he can do. And, um, yeah, he's doing that next. So it went from there. And then, of course, I I saw the film, um, The Way, and uh, I just got interested from from that one conversation and, of course, ended up doing it in uh, in the end as well. So what was the timeline from the time you heard about it until the time you stepped foot on the Camino? What was the time, the the lead time? Uh, I think it was about uh, three years. Okay. Yeah, right. From from that initial conversation until I actually, um, as you said in your intro, I just went and did it or I just do it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so the road to enlightenment and adventure unfolded before you. Tell us about, let let me ask you this question. What do you think it is about the Camino that is so wonderful? Well, I think initially it's this uh, great adventure and then you find that uh, you have all this time to basically think about your whole life uh, as you walk, because as you know, uh, you have so much time on your hands with with yourself, which is which is great. Um, so I think um, from that point of view, you um, yeah, you just get get to go on this adventure. But then there's the spiritual part of it uh, as well which you discover, uh, which I really only discovered about two weeks in when I was getting into a a rhythm and I was there actually at Easter, which was probably a great time to be there because you have all the processions through the streets and um, that significance of the Camino from that point of view. So that was, I think that was, it was just timing, it was just luck. But I think, uh, yeah, the spiritual part uh, comes into it as well. And, of course, many people do it for spiritual uh, reasons as well. Yeah, and the Spanish are wonderful too, aren't they? Yeah, they're wonderful people and they embrace you um, wherever you go, as you know. Um, and uh, they're all always helpful. Um, it's, it's more so in the, in, the, in the country towns than in the city when you, when you get to the city. But, uh, yeah, they're wonderful people um, and they embrace it. It's, it's part of their life there. And um, they, as you say, they're very, very welcoming. Yeah. I always ask my guests if they are spiritual people. Would you call yourself spiritual, Dean? Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm not a churchgoer. Um, and uh, up until that point, um, I wasn't going to church um, on Sundays or doing anything like that. So, no, but um, I, I can understand where they're coming from and the people who, who do it for that for that reason. Well, there's a church every five kilometres, as you know. Yeah, and, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Yeah, and yet it's, and it's, it's hard to ignore it, isn't it? No, no, it's there. It's there all around you. And you can see each town is, is based around a church uh, and that whole thing of gathering and uh, you can understand it. And the, the, these churches, are, I think there's a couple of churches uh, there that have been there for maybe five or 600 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So it's, 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 yeah, incredible from that point of view. Yeah, well, the, the, the cathedral in Santiago has been there 800 years, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there was one little church uh, in the film where, that I went into. I think that one was four or 500 years old. Yeah. Um, and you walk into something like that and it's, it's overpowering and it's, it's emotional as well. And there's a scene in, in, in the film where I do go into that church and that was the first time I... I um, I understood the spiritual side of it, uh, looking at all the all the um, uh, just just being in that church. Uh, I, I knew this was a spiritual journey, uh, and and also an adventure. Yeah, and and you say, as I said earlier, that it's about self discovery. So, what was it like when you realised? Oh, okay. There's a bit more to this than I initially thought there would be. And you talked about that moment when you realised something more significant was happening. Tell us about that journey. Uh, well, I think it's, it's different for everyone. Uh, at that time, I was at the crossroads, and I, I think this applies to a lot of people. Um, and... I had uh, just quit work. Uh, I worked in television for 20 years and I was just burnt out. So this was a, a good opportunity to just get away from that and also just think about what was going to happen in the future. And the Camino is perfect for that, whether you do it for a week or whether you do it for five weeks. Um, you just have all this time to think and... Um, I did. I, I sorted out everything I needed to do, and and since that point, that was five five years ago. I've been doing. Uh, uh, I love photography, so I've been doing that for the last five years, and um, yeah, it, it just it seemed to sort all that uh, stuff out that I needed to work on. You can tell watching the film that you enjoyed meeting other people and the part that they played in your Camino too. Yeah, well, um, I don't know if that comes across. Um, you can be the judge of that. But uh, for the first three weeks, I was um, I was basically just by myself because um, I'm not a, a morning person, so I was always the last last person <laughs> out of bed, right? <laughs> and uh, always last on the road. So in a lot of the footage, you can see it's just me. Uh, because everyone else, um, especially the Germans for some reason, were up at like 5 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and out the door by 5.30, um, whereas I was, I would stretch it to, well, I'd just wait for someone to come in and kick me out, basically. Right. So, right. So, yeah. So, um, but... I would basically, during the day, uh, that first couple of weeks, I wouldn't see anyone. I didn't see anyone. This was uh, uh, April. 
So it's before the mad rush of uh, summer and, and all the people that um, come with that. So, yeah, um, for the first couple of weeks it was just me. And then uh, I started to see people that I initially um, started with and uh, you'd, you'd run into them. And I think more towards the end, the last week um, – I started to socialise more, and then at the end, uh, there was uh, about five or six people that were that I'd seen along along the way. That uh, we had this big uh, get together at a restaurant. It was just great to catch up with people and um, and then yeah, you know, just talk about what had happened and um, and then yeah, it's over. It's 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 a weird. Um, it's a weird feeling. Um, I don't know if you went through that at the end. Yeah. Um, and then it's, it's, yeah, you, you don't want it to end. I think that's one of the biggest thing people, things people go through is that those last uh, four or five days, you're kind of thinking you don't want this to end. You, but your body says, well, okay, you might want to give it a rest. Um, <laughs> that's right. You don't want it to end. But it's interesting that that you'd gone through this transformation. Um, you spent a lot of time on your own, and then toward the end, you were much more social. That was probably because you'd come to terms with a, a few things as well. Yeah, yeah. I was. It, I got into a nice rhythm, and um, yeah, I, I think I definitely sorted things out. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think if I went a lot of, as you know, a lot of people do that last week, and. Um, I don't think a week would have um, been enough enough time to sort all that stuff out. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely that that five or six weeks, the lead up, and then, of course, um, the four or five days after um, as well. Um, so it was really a, a what, what, what's that, a six-week period mm. um, from go to yeah, yeah, you can do it, and you can do it in four. But you know, you mentioned earlier that you left late. You were always the last one out of the albergue. Did you always get a bed then, yeah. then that night? Did you always find somewhere to stay? Uh, I only had a problem once. Uh, there was the uh, small town. It was a small town, I remember, and um, there were just there just weren't any beds, and. The last pa- the last place I tried had uh, one bed left. So, but most, m- all the other times I had no no problems. It's it's April, so um, I don't think there are as many people as. Uh, uh, when's the season start? I think the season starts uh, what um, May or June. Well, yes, sometimes it's April. I think it's getting busier and busier all the time. So the albergues are opening yeah. earlier and earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and walk, yep. walking at Easter would have the weather would have been beautiful too. Yeah, well, I didn't have uh, one rainy day the oh, whole time. How gorgeous! Yeah, it, it rained uh, just that night. Actually, when I didn't get a bed, um, there was a thunderstorm coming in, and just as I checked in, uh, it started to rain. So that was the only time when I was on the Camino. No rain at all. It was just sunshine all the way that's fantastic i don't know how i don't know how rare that is but um yeah that that's the way it unfolded you're obviously a lover of music because the music in the film is fantastic it's a big part of of the movie 
tell us about the music, yeah. your musical journey. Why is it so important to you? Well, I don't think I could have coped without having music on the Camino. I had a, an iPod and just headphones, and I basically had all the music um, that I loved and that I grew up with. And, yeah, that got me through some tough periods. Uh, I don't know um, if, if, if you've been through that where uh, – you, you you kind of hit the hit the wall, yeah, yeah. And you just you just need that little boost to get you get you to the next town, and you put on some music and it hypes you up a bit, and suddenly you're there. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm a musician as well, so um, and I worked uh, in sound uh, during my television years, and um, so that part of it uh, was a no brainer, really. And I'd, I'd listen to music probably four or five hours a day, and then you just shut off, and then you just be there and um, by yourself, and uh, yeah, just absorbing the sounds of um, absorbing the sounds of the Camino. Yeah, it was a big part, and a lot of that music in the film um, I did listen to um, on 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 the on the way. So. Um, it was good. Uh, it was good to u- be able to use that, and um, yeah, get, it definitely got me through. You say you're a musician. What, what do you play? I play guitar, and uh, that's about it, really. Right. I play a little bit of piano, and but, did- yeah, I, I'm I'm a very big uh, Eric Clapton fan, so I, I listen to a lot of Eric Clapton and. Um, I've seen him uh, many times over the years. So any any guitar based music, um, yeah. I love. Yeah, slow hand. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, good to get you going in the morning and get you through the day. Great stuff. What what you mentioned before that you had burned out, um, that you'd been in the media for twenty years and you were you had it. But why do you think mm-hmm. in generally we head to the Camino to get away from the hustle and bustle? Why do we need to get away from the hustle and bustle of modern life, do you think? Well, I think we just get caught up with it and uh, we get into um, a cycle. Um, I know I did that um, That if I didn't do something drastic, I'd probably still be doing it and I never would have uh, done the Camino. Um, so you, in your intro you say just do it. Um, and I think that, that, that sums it up. You just got to go and do it. Um, even if, uh, you have your doubts and even if I, I, I didn't do too much research about it at the start, I didn't have a guidebook or anything like that. I just turned up and got my, um, Compostela and that was it. I just went off. Um, so yeah, um, I think uh, that's what the Camino is for. You just uh, do it and um, take take whatever it gives you. So talk us through the logistics. What what did you film it on? I I actually filmed it on. Um, I had way too much gear with me. That's what I was about. Um, to, that was my next question. Yeah. 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 I had five kilos. <laughs> 
of camera gear, uh, which was, and if if you see the film, you'll see it's on the front. I've got a little pack on the front of me, which basically had I have a DSLR camera with me for yeah. for still pictures. And just a little Panasonic um, HD camera. That that's what uh, all the filming was done on, which had a little hard drive. So uh, I would just basically set that up. Um, I did have a tripod uh, with <laughs> tripod as well, um, but I got rid of that on the first day. Um, I, I knew that I was wasn't going to carry it to the end. <laughs> So yeah, that that's uh, that I just had the little HD camera, and uh, someone actually sent me a question the other day: um, What gear would you recommend taking now? Yeah, yeah. On the and if I was doing it uh, again now, I would just take my uh, Samsung phone. That's it. Right. Which weighs three 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 hundred grams or whatever. Wow. So that's how much technology has changed in in five years. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So in, in, it, I was at a function last night and someone said to me, Apple have done actually more for the development of cameras than they have for the development of phones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. And the video, I've got a Samsung uh, 9 Plus, and this is not a, a plug or anything, but... The video on that uh, is amazing, and the photos it takes are as good as my um, my Canon uh, DSLR. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'd just take my phone, and that would be it, and I'd save five kilos. <laughs> five kilos? That's that's cra- uh, that's crazy uh, when you think I, about it. Yeah. Oh, I had batteries, I had cords, I had um, – I, I even thought initially of taking my computer, <laughs> which would have been even great, crazier just for editing. But, um, no, I decided, uh, okay, I'm just going to take this and still that was a lot. Um, it was too much. So did you go with a plan – obviously, if you're taking – a, a digital camera and, and the DSLR, you, you you went with a plan to record everything, but did you think that you'd... What did you expect to end up with at the end? Uh, well, I, I really didn't know because um, I think in the end I ended up with about uh, 18 hours of footage. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is quite a lot. So, uh, and I took probably about a thousand stills um and I, I actually took a lot on my phone as well I, I actually took more photos on my phone than I did with my camera because it was such a hassle um just getting it out and setting it up and then uh, putting it back and then with the phone you just wa- get it out of your pocket and take a picture and then you you keep going yeah, yeah. And and you didn't do it easily, did you? You you had a bit of trouble with your feet and knees, I think. Yeah, well, um uh by the end my feet uh and I don't want to put anyone off, but I think I had the wrong shoes. Um my my shoes uh, uh one of them wore right through 
at the end. So the soles weren't thick enough, um, basically. So I, I was... I was feeling every rock, uh, the road. I could just feel it straight through my shoes. So by about um, 10 k's in every day, my, my feet would ache. And by the end, they were really aching. Um, and at the end, they were almost numb. Um, and, and when you're carrying, like on the first day, I was carrying 18 kilos. Oh. So, yeah. And that, that was, for, for about that first week, I think I was carrying probably 15. I got it down to 15. But that's still a lot, as you know. Um, so, yeah, by the end, my uh, my feet, and my feet were probably numb, uh, had this numbness to them afterwards for probably six months to a year. So. Six months to a year. Yeah, yeah. Though there was just this dull numb uh, numbness to them, and I could still walk okay, and it wasn't painful or anything. I didn't have to take any med- medication, but yeah, the, that's how tough the Camino was on my feet. I think. Wow. I don't know if that if people have, other people have ex- experienced that. Um, how did you go with you, with your feet? Were, oh. Were they okay? Yeah. yeah. Well, the first time around, I had no problems whatsoever. Second time around, I had right. I got I walked in the rain, and it was oh, okay. pouring, pouring, pouring rain, and it was mud up halfway up my shins, and my shoes mm. got wet, my socks got wet, my feet got wet, and I had to walk in. My feet were wet, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I was in between towns. This was in France, and I couldn't. There was nowhere to go. I couldn't just stop on the side of the road and stay the night in, in the bush. Uh, so I had to keep yeah. walking. By the time I'd kept walking, I'd, I'd developed blisters under my toes, which were very, very painful. But I just made yeah. sure that I treated them properly. Um, yeah. th- there's a product in Australia called Betadine, um, which is like a disinfectant, and I just smothered them in, in disinfectant and made sure I kept my feet up. Sometimes for hours yeah. and hours and hours, I would keep my feet up and put them in the breeze yep. and, and, and dry them out each night. So I, I was okay. Um, I was okay. And, and I also had a lot of trouble with, uh, pain down the front of my shins. Uh, I don't, oh, okay. I, I don't think it's actually shin splint. I think it's more tendon trouble, but people identify it as shin splint. I think it's tendon trouble. And when I, right. uh, somebody suggest, because I carried a guitar on my back. So, uh, some, right. some, yeah, somebody suggested I ought to wear, uh, use poles and that, and that meant, yep. and that meant that I stood more upright. And in doing so, mm-hmm. it, the the shins improved overnight. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah. think I think that was that was a, that was a biggie for me. And I think if I go again, well, indeed I will go again. I'll definitely use poles because it keeps you more upright and takes a bit of pressure off your knees and feet. I think, which is a good yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. As much as they say, as much as fifteen percent of the the pressure can be taken off your knees if you're using poles, or maybe even more. Did you did you wear poles or, or carry use poles? Yeah, well, initially I had a stick, <laughs> yeah, and um, that lasted about a week, and then um, I got poles about two weeks in, yeah, I think, yeah. and they were like five euros each or something. So, and they definitely made a difference um, with balance, and they seemed to take a little bit of pressure off your feet. Uh, they were great for going, actually, going downhills. Um, 
as well. So, yeah, I had polls. Um, uh, someone stole them about halfway through. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I had to buy another pair, but they were only five euros each, so it's not that it's going to break the bank. But, yeah, I, I found them, uh, the polls were, yeah, a, a, a good a good idea, definitely, and I should have had them probably from the start. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned that you were often the last person in albergue. Do you always stay in albergues? Um, I did stay in um, uh, a hotel uh, in Lyon um, just to have a bath, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and just, <laughs> I, I actually spent... I actually spent two days, uh, I think two nights there. Uh, that was my last rest days before um, um, heading into uh, Santiago. So, uh, but that was the only time. Most of the time, yeah, it was in the albergues and uh, with everyone else and, um, yeah, try, trying, to, trying to get some decent sleep. Well, you most probably got more sleep than everybody else if you were waiting till everybody else left and, and getting a couple of hours later in the morning. It sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good way to do it. Um, I don't know, yeah. Um, I would always, but you'd always hear people in the morning getting up um, at around five, six o'clock uh, trying to get organised and, yeah, but I'm a heavy sleeper and... Um, there was only one night where I didn't get any sleep because there was uh, a whole heap of people snoring um, right next to me. So, but other than that, yeah, I'm a I'm a heavy sleeper. And as you know, by the end of that day, you're just ready to have a meal and crash, and and that's it. <laughs> you're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gone. All right. Do you have a favourite pi- place on the Camino Frances? Uh favourite place. Wow. Um, I haven't really had a, a, a good think about it. Um, I don't think there's any particular favourite place. It, it all just blends into one. Um, uh, Zaria, the town. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I did like it there. Um, only because uh, I got to, we had a, a celebration there, a, a friend that I met on the Camino. It was her 50th birthday. So that little town there, or, or I don't know how little it is, but it seemed like a little town, um, but it was kind of special. And we had, uh, we had some musicians uh, there that night as well, and we had a big jam session on the top, rooftop of the albergue and... We're all singing songs, and um, so that memory and that town, um, I think, is is uh, yeah, probably my favourite. Um, yeah, my favourite place. Yeah, I remember speaking to Rachel Rukert in one of my earlier podcasts, and she said, "You'll at least once on the Camino hate walking." <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? Um. Yeah, there are days when you, uh, yeah, you just don't want to walk. <clears throat> you just want to lay in the field and, and chill out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you realise that you've probably got another 10 kilometres, 15 kilometres to go. Um, but as you know, you get there. And yeah. uh, that, that feeling of getting into the albergue, taking your shoes off every night, 
and just uh, and putting on some thongs or some sandals <laughs> and just walking around like that that used to be so precious yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I did enjoy that yeah that shower <laughs> oh that shower at the end of the day yeah as well yeah and just putting your feet up at the end of the day um yeah it was just so it's so simple but um just so rewarding at the same time yeah cast your mind back to the camino uh and before you left uh and then when you'd finished do you think it met your yeah. expectations oh definitely um i had no idea of what was about to happen um I'd seen I'd seen the film and I uh, hadn't read any books or anything, so that was about it. And um, I'd actually been to um, Egypt. I went to Cairo before, uh, about two weeks before the Camino. So going from that extreme um, of a city with uh, 20 million people to being on the Camino by yourself... Um, was just, uh, yeah, uh, a weird but wonderful experience. You know, the, the, you said that it changed you in a way that it, you surprised, the spirituality of it surprised you. How do you think it's impacted mm. your life now post-Camino? Um, that's a good question. I don't think it's changed too much. Um, because I've never been a spiritual person, um, uh, it, it, it uh, didn't really affect me too much. Um, so, yeah, from that, from that point of view, um, I, I've always loved walking, but not on that scale. I've never walked. Like the first day I did... Uh, 32, 33 kilometres, and that's the most I've ever walked ever in one day. Right. So, um, but, yeah, I, I understand the spiritual part. It's it's not a big part of my life. Um, I'm fair, fairly relaxed anyway as a person. I, I don't stress out much, and I'm pretty chilled most of the time. So, but, yeah, uh, the Camino is great. He's great for that. If I can understand why... People, uh, especially the Spanish people, do it. I think that's why they do it, just to unwind, get away from everything, and um, yeah, just get back to the basics. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. Get back to the basics. We could all do with mm. a lot more of that. That's for sure. What advice would you give? Oh, some, yeah. What advice would you give someone thinking of doing the Camino? Um. I think just, yeah, just do it is a good uh, philosophy to have. Um, try not to overdo the preparation because um, I, I say in the film, I, I'm think, I think I'm about halfway through and I say something like nothing prepared, can really prepare you for Camino. Uh, I did some so-called training I, I was actually in Paris for a week before I went down to St. Jean. So I was just there to basically uh, wear in my shoes and make sure the pack was okay. <laughs> so, uh, and that didn't make make any difference at all. Like uh, once, once you're in it, um, 
things will pop up. Um, uh, and then, yeah, you just have to just take each day, each step as, as it comes. Yeah. That's, that's the only ad- advice. Like, and, um, yeah, just try not to um, uh, just watch your pace because y- your body, uh, as you hit, I found as you hit the 20K mark, your body would start to say, okay, uh, this is enough. And, yeah, re- just uh, really rely, uh, try and rely on what your body's telling you. Um, some days I would only do 15Ks and that's all I could do. Um, other days, I think the most I did, the first day I did that 30, 32, 33 kilometres, but I think the average is about 20Ks a day. And that, that's a lot of stopping and, and starting, especially with the filming. That would take up probably sometimes one or two hours a day just yeah. doing some filming. Yeah, right. Yeah, so they're long days. They're long days. You must have been exhausted at the end of some of those days. Did you ever get lost? Um, no, I, I didn't get lost once. I, I took a, a wrong turn uh, in a town and ended up uh, in a street. And I thought, oh, this is um, this is the wrong way. You kind of know, but uh, that was only I only went like. 20 or 30 metres up the road, and then I realised that I was going the wrong way. So, um, but, yeah, I, I never really – I think it's well – the yellow arrows um, are everywhere. They could probably use a, a little bit of uh, repainting in a few areas. <laughs> but, and also uh, the actual mileage um, from town to town is a little dubious at, at times. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't think you can can get lost. Would you agree with that? Or well, if you keep your wits about you, you shouldn't. No, no, yeah. Um, I think you you generally you have this like inbuilt um, radar that uh, guides you, and yeah, uh, it, it it's well worn anyway. In most going through the towns um, can be a little bit tricky because you might go maybe a couple of kilometres without knowing whether you're going the right way. But, um, yeah, most of the time, um, yeah, I, I, I generally knew where I was going. I didn't, I didn't have a map. The only map I had was, um, was in, the, in, the, uh, in my passport, and that was it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a comment. <laughs> Tell us a Camino story. Uh, well, I think the, uh, that that first day was such so hard and rewarding at the same time. Um, I, I I was just in too uh, too deep on that first day. I, I was, as I said, I was I was carrying eighteen kilos, and. At the top of that mountain, um, it was so windy. At one point, I couldn't even walk forward. And um, I had to make a decision. Uh, I wasn't even sure where I was going to make it into uh, Ronchevas, is it? Yeah, is that... yeah, yeah. Because uh, I couldn't see it. And I was, I, I was just lucky there wasn't a storm or rain because um, – I don't think I would have made it there that night. 
Um, so that day, and, I, and in the film on the next, uh, you can see of the day after um, that, uh, yeah, I was, I was glad I'd made it. But um, because uh, in the office that day, uh, the, the morning before I left the Camino, the woman actually told me that uh, there was uh, four or five foot of snow up the top there and that you couldn't get through. So uh, there was an alternative route which went uh, along the road uh, into Spain. So, and I somehow missed that. That was the plan to just go that way, but I missed that and ended up going over the mountain. So that initial day, um, I'll just never forget it because it was so, it was really tough. And uh, this was my, intro. just remember that this is my introduction to the Camino. And uh, it, it was a it was it was a pretty tough introduction, and um, in perfect weather it would it would be fine, but just to have that wind, you don't really get a sense of just how bad the wind was. Um, there's a few points in the, on that first day in the film where the, the camera's shaking a bit, but yeah, um, if I could do do it all again, I would probably. I think on the first day, and you, you can correct me here, there's actually a, a spot you can stay up on the mountain um, uh, about halfway up. Do, do you remember anything yeah. like that? Yeah, it's called Orison. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what I, what I should have done was stayed there that night because I think that's probably about 15 k's up or 20 k's up. I'm, I'm not sure. So... Uh, yeah, uh, the story of that first day, and I did too much filming on that day. Um, I had my 18 kilos for most of that point. There's a little hut up there. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. It's probably about three three quarters of the way up. And I got in there and I, I said to myself, I'm, I'm not going to make it with this pack. Um I was struggling at that stage because that's when the snow started about that point. So um, I think I left behind maybe four or five kilos of, um, of stuff, the tripod, clothes. Um, I just left it there because I knew I, I wouldn't be able to get up the rest of the mountain. So from that point on and then getting through the snow, it was just this incredible day that um, – um, such a such a great introduction to the Camino, but also a tough one uh, as well. Amazing. And then, of course, yeah. And then, of course, there are little stories that happen along the way um, that that stick with you. Uh, in the film, there's a there's a little part where um, I'm walking along and uh, a herd of goats come around the corner. Yeah. And um, your instinct is just to step to the side and um, let them walk by, let them walk through. But I decided just to stay in the middle of the road and see if they just went around me, and they did. And I think that that little moment was when I knew I was really in the Camino because uh, you're in uh, the middle of this uh, herd of goats and and the guy herding the goats looks like a hundred. He's a hundred years old. 
And, uh, yeah, just that little moment um, was really special as well. Yeah, you're part of their rural life, aren't you? You are, especially towards the end. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, the scenery, and there's a lot of farm farms um, uh, in that last part, that last couple of weeks as well, uh, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I love the film. It's a wonderful resource for those considering walking or for pilgrims who want to reflect on their, on their return home. So, Dean, thank you so much for yeah. taking the time to talk to us and congratulations and good luck. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and um, hopefully uh, we'll see you on the Camino. I'm thinking of actually going back um, in uh, January or February. I didn't do the last um, the last uh, 100Ks to Finisterra, so um, I just I just couldn't, didn't have the energy at the time to do it. So I'd, I'd love to go back and, and do that. So I'm hoping to do that early next year if I can. Well, I hope, our, I hope our paths cross. It'd be fantastic to catch yes. up. Yes. yes, thank you. Good on you, Dean. And Buen Camino, my friend. Buen Camino to you too. And I, I loved your song too. Um, it really summed up what the Camino is all about. And I can't believe you carried your guitar the whole way. Yeah, I did. I don't think I'll be doing it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Much appreciated. See you soon. Thank you. My guest this week is the Australian pilgrim and filmmaker Dean Preston. You can find Dean's picture on YouTube. It's called Walking Man, the Camino de Santiago. Queen Noor of Jordan is a philanthropist and author and widow of King Hussein. She said, if we are to prosper together in our increasingly small world, we must listen to and learn from each other's stories. I hope you learned a thing or two this week and every week. I'm Dan Mullins. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, 